FM New York, WKCR HD, WKCR.org, or if you're here in New York City, maybe you're listening to 89.9 FM, or you could be listening to the Deep Focus podcast, where hundreds of episodes just of programs nearly as good as this one are posted. We'll talk about that more later, but I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. The show's called Deep Focus. Here's how we play the game. We invite a guest into the studio, and the guest chooses a topic for our delectation, and we find live recordings of the artists of the guest's choosing. And I'm so happy to welcome back to the studio tonight, Matthew Ship. Hello. Hello. Good to be back. Yeah, man. Well, I love sitting here with you. You are uh, never fail to be an informed, opinionated, dedicated listener. Uh, I, I have no opinion. <laughs> you have you have data. You have data sets and uh, algorithms. Uh, um, <laughs> I I just listen to the music. That's 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 the whole the whole thing. Right. The whole that's it. That's it. You just said the whole thing of this show. It's it's just paying attention. That's it. Right. Well, we all take in the vibrations from the music, and it does something to our heads and our spirits, and that's what it's for, you know. To it's information. It's it massages brain cells. It it speaks to the spirit. It lifts you up, or it takes you down. Yeah. It does whatever it does, and you know. And being a musician doesn't make me any more. Um, perceptive about music. In fact, in some ways, it might make me a little less because um, I, I always, well, everybody perceives music f- from their standpoint and what, but but just being a musician, you know, I, I probably have an agenda of some sort and I probably perceive music through my agenda. So uh, saying that, I'm just saying that um, I'm somebody that listens to music as a fan. As a you know, I I need it to, to, for to keep my sanity in this crazy world. Um, if I'm keeping my sanity, I don't know. I mean, not that my wife would never mind. <laughs> well, I, no, no, I'm not, not going to say what she would say about that, but um, um, I but my, my my point is that as a musician, I'm a fan. Also, I'm a fan. I'm a person that needs to hear the music to help um, whatever the music does to your psyche and, and my perception is no more valid than somebody that you pull off the street. Well, you're, I agree to a point, but I think 
nobody has a better grasp on what Matthew Ship's take is on the music. Oh than no, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, no, that's I, fair I to definitely say. have a grasp on, on <laughs> yeah. what, what my take is. Yes, and I, I don't know if I don't know if I could say this about every musician ever, but I think most of you guys were fans first. Right? Weren't you like... Oh, oh, yeah. That's how you start playing because you hear something that you want to emulate or you want to, you know, or, I mean, what in whatever way. You see musicians, it looks cool. Or, you know, it looks like, wow, I want to be like, you know, that person. Or you could look at musicians and think that, you know, you could become, you know, if you have a fantasy of becoming rich doing them, you know, which is usually not the case in jazz <laughs> well, yeah, but um yeah. or, or whatever i mean you might grow up in a family that's musical and people are playing instruments but but yes you you are usually a fan of some yeah, sort before. i think so and the way that you just described how music functions for us and what it does to you you could say that generically maybe about all music but maybe because it's what i have in mind because you and I have been listening to this and thinking about this. It feels, the words you used feel just a little more apt in describing this particular musician who we're focusing on tonight, maybe more than anybody else I can think of. Does the general public know who we're? They do not. And oh, I'm inviting okay. you to tell them who that is. Well, the, okay, I'll say this. The first time I did this program, I'm a pianist. If somebody doesn't listening to this doesn't know who I am. Um, and we did one with a pianist, Paul Blay, who was a very um, important figure for me. And and today you invited me to do somebody who's not a pianist, yes, a, a tenor sax player, yes. And I felt kind of not intimidated, but um, slightly that maybe a sax player should do this. But here I am, I'm, and I'm not a sax player. And it's Albert Eiler. Albert Eiler, uh, the the great great tenor player. He's a very um. Enig, he's an enigma in 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 a lot of ways. Um, there's kind of really no understanding of who Albert Adler was because he he hit the cracks of so many things or so many um, preconceptions of how you think somebody should be or should develop. He seems to buck the system in every every possible way you know so if, if you think like a, a musician should be this 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 something about Eiler goes against the grain somehow um in in every ways I mean he's a modernist who went to the very primal source of everything and almost you know went further back than anybody else let you know despite the fact that he put it together in a s supposedly modern way so i mean he kind of um is a very strange figure it's hard to really kind of reconcile him in any way with any aspect of jazz history even though the roots of what he did are so obvious it's, um they're there and they're identifiable but yet the kind of um, overall um, Albert Allier experience is not almost not definable. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You, you really hit the nail on the head. And it's funny um, what you said specifically that uh, the things he's exploring are were readily available to everybody in right. a way. 
the word genius gets thrown around a lot. A lot of the people we admire get called genius, and I don't really know what that word means exactly. Right. But one definition I have is exactly what you just said. Somebody who delivers an idea that anybody could have brought along that was just sitting there. That, to me, is, is, right. is genius. And to develop that and express that in a way... Well, yeah. I, I think there's an con- incredible amount of innocence in his play. I mean, there's a cre- tremendous amount of sophistication um, because he 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 really took his craft seriously. He wasn't just like blowing. He he studied a lot of things in his own way because his and um, there was a long there's a long process. I mean, what was he 34 when he died? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, obviously that's same age bird, um, a relatively young age, but. There was a long gestation period of, um, and there was something specifically he was pushing for. I mean, from the very beginning, even before it was there, there there was like a spirit or something he was talking to, and and, and he kind of had a um, abstract image of what he wanted, was going after, and it took a while for it all to come, to, all the pieces to come together. But he, I think, you know, he was going after that thing from theoretically going after that thing from the very beginning. Can, I wonder if you can unpack a little bit maybe about what some of those things were that he was drawing from and what he was uh, what he was pushing towards. I, I, it might be a little bit beyond description, but... Well, no. I mean, I think, first of all, you know, you, you start out, like your parents usually get you an instrument. <laughs> yeah. Mom, I want to play something. And, you know, your, your father doesn't you got to practice if we get you the instrument. You know, your father's not going to spend that money to, you know. I mean, in his case, his father was a tenor player. So I think Albert started out on alto. And um, his father used to take him to hear all the bands. You know, Basie, Ellington, everybody would come through town. Cleveland. Yeah, in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and they it was a middle-class family, too. They didn't live in the hood. Yeah, Shaker Heights. So yeah, yeah. Very, uh... <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was a middle-class family. Um, even though I could be wrong about this, he might have said a couple public things later that tried to make it seem like he came up in the hood, but it was a middle-class family. Um, but, you know, he he would go to the, I, I think, like, he would go to these concerts, and he was entranced, like, he would see these figures. And, he, and he, you know, he, was, he became a well-dressed, da- dapper type of guy. So I, I think he was impressed with the whole, the whole, thing the whole ambience you know because duke and those people dressed well you know yeah yeah um and anyway i i i think i mean i'm actually not like an expert on albert Allen. there's people that know his biography inside out i know this I, but um he i i i think their bebop was around his house a lot and um he started out on alto and um i i know he could play some charlie parker souls now they're they're there is um, debate about how much he actually knew about harmony, and and there I think there's someone that said he could actually play these bird solos, but they were not sure how much he actually knew of the underlying harmony. Now, I, I recall reading something like that, somebody a, a quote, and that person could be wrong, you know. But anyway, but the bottom line is he did absorb a lot of Charlie Parker, um, and. He ended up, um, obviously the church is a big part. 
of his music. I mean, an extreme, massive part of his music. I think his parents were Baptists, and I think his father, at a later date, left the Baptist church and actually became a Pentecostal. But um, he, um, that that was a major, major aspect, and and he really did try to emulate musicians he heard in the church and and the whole tradition and um the speaking in tongues thing was a big aspect of to his psyche um he um also um went in the army okay he started playing with a bunch of r&b bands in the local area i think he also played with lloyd price at one yeah yeah i think so yeah um but he had, and there was another blues player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, little I, Walter or something. I can't remember. Um, somebody that he played with, and he actually did play with him for quite a while. So the R&B, the church element was really strong. The bebop element was there. But, um, and also, you know, there's regular tenor tradition. Um, I, you know, I hear a little, a little smidgen of Sonny in his very early stuff. Sonny Rollins. Yeah, um. And, it was and, only a few years older than him. Yeah, but. yeah, you know, a smidgen in the early. I mean, but um, but this, I mean, I, I, of all of that, I think probably the church might have been the overriding kind of thing. And and he, even though he was a Christian, he was kind of involved with like a lot of occult things early on. I, I you know, I, I think he had a relative that used to look in a crystal ball, and then supposedly he had some out of body experiences as a teen or early adult. And um, he was always, it seems like he kind of had his own mythos that was um, um, dealing with kind of UFOs and things like that, that was somehow kind of mixed with the Christian, I don't want to say Christian mysticism, because he it, it was never like he was into like Christian mystics that you would think of like medieval I mean he his Christianity was the black church you know mm-hmm. and um I I I I guess you would have, if if people are speaking in tongues that's mysticism <laughs> okay <laughs> of sorts that's like you know that um you're going there but anyway um so but all of that is to say that there was something he was pushing at that that he was conscious of at an early age that I, I don't want to say synthesized. Well, yeah, synthesized all of that. And it was an image that he was pushing at. Um, and in his early years, he was cognizant of of the beginning of the free jazz. I mean, he definitely knew what Ornette was doing. And um, his early exposure to train was probably through Miles Davis and stuff like that. So it was before, because it's, it's, it, Coltrane's push into the avant-garde it more comes from Eiler. I mean, Coltrane heard Eiler and really admired what he did and thought he was on another frequency. I think that's even an exact quote of, from Coltrane saying that he's just doing something on another frequency. Um, so Coltrane's push, in, uh, but Eiler did hear Coltrane early on and knew something was, um, something was up you know um but he heard ornette early and and admired him but was very conscious of knowing that he he was going to do something different in fact i think there's a quote from perry robinson clarinet player i did it i played one festival with perry myself once in um serbia um and Perry knew Albert Prudy early on, and he said something to the effect that he explicitly stated, and it, he said it was not egotistical, 
but he said something that, you know, and this was before I think Albert's plane was really developed to exactly what we know now, but he said something to the effect that Albert said, you know, Ornette has his thing. It's really well, this is not an exact quote, paraphrase, mm-hmm. well developed in what it is. Coltrane's doing his thing, but I'm a, a original and I'm going to make my contribution that that's completely different. And, you know, and Perry said it wasn't done in an egotistical way. It was, but Eiler said it in a way that it was, he was very um, cognizant from an early time that he was going to make a major contribution to the language in that time period, you know, in that, in the basically the first generation of avant-garde, um, which now that I think about it, he's coming after Ornette. I mean, so it is first generation, but it's this, the last part of the first generation avant-garde. Yeah. But anyway, um, so he he was both. Um, I mean, the thing about Eiler, he was he was studied. He was there's a very sophisticated approach to what he does. You can't just like say he's getting up there and just blowing. But he was also. I, I, you know, I, I'm not a psychiatrist. I, I don't know anything. I, 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 I don't under, I don't really know like the clinical terms for certain things. But th- there was something about him that was um, different. <laughs> I'm going to just use that term. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't. He, he was he was not an idiot savant in in the terms that because he was studied. He was um, maybe. And maybe his studying didn't go the route that some people. Does. But he he was very conscious along the along his path of learning what he needed to learn at different points from different people. He had a, a teachers in high school. His father was a teacher. He had um, teachers in the army when he was in the army band, which was a big. Yeah, you you mentioned that, but you didn't. I, th- I have a feeling you have more to say about. That that period as well actually i don't really know much about his army period except um he i think he told people that he went in because they did have great bands and it was a chance but i think there's um some um people think that he might have been trying to get away from paternity payments and 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 went to the you know I, and I, I don't know what this story is, but I've heard both of those. Um, but anyway, I mean, the bottom line is that he did have a band. And he did get exposed to a lot of March music, a lot of um, not classical music per se, but um, kind of classic band music. Yeah. You know, and and there, he was a he was like a he was in some ways like the painter John Michel Basquiat, just a sponge for stuff like stuff would go through his central nervous system and then just come out and it wasn't like derivative i mean you know you could hear like you know his march rhythms there's march melodies there's spiritual overtones to this you know you can you can see the parts of the the building exactly what bricks and mortar are but but when he did it it kind of went through his system and just came out in this really emotive way that um was just him playing, you know. I, and when he plays, it really is, you know, it, it, he's just blowing. But, but it's not like it. It, it, it is naive, and it's not naive at the same time. It, 
it's um you know he's a really special cat. <laughs> yeah, well saying. put, man. Well put. And I've never heard that comparison to Basquiat. It seems really apt in a lot of ways. And he's another one who, when he emerged, there were people who thought that he was an idiot's fun or he was just painting, you know, wild and free, right. which he obviously was not. And right. you know, the people missed that they were too close to him to really see what he was right. doing. Right. And well, the, the thing about people like that is that they do study, but they study in their way, you know? So, like, um, and they know what they, they know the nutrients they need from each thing they study. So they get, they study it, they get the nutrients, and then they move on, where somebody else might completely study it and get it down to a point where, they're actually scholar of it, and, and and these guys get what they need, and then they they move on to the next thing because they know it on a certain level. They know exactly what they need from it, um, so they might not appear to be experts at, at things, and they might appear to be kind of an idiot savant or an autistic. Um, and I'm I'm actually not going to even say there's not a small degree of any of that in there. I mean, who's to know? I don't know. I don't know how people are put together, you know. Um, I, I have to ask, just because it pops into my head, that you were contemporaries, and I know you were both in overlapping places. Did you know Jean-Michel Basquiat? Um, yeah. I mean, I used to hang... I When, when I moved to New York in the early 80s, um, I, I, I moved to New York at the end of 83, and I didn't start really touring until I, when I joined the David Ware group in 1990. So between 80, like 84 to 90, I was not on the road. In other words, I was in New York every night, and you know, I, I was working a day job and then practicing. Then I would go to clubs at night to dance. And I was, you know, the Pyramid, Danceteria, um, the World, um, Palladium. I think I, I'm, we bumped into each other once or twice yeah, back yeah. then. Uh, and I was out seven nights a week dancing. <laughs> so I was, um, I, I, I used to see John Michelle around. And I, I knew, I, I did talk to him occasionally, but I, I knew people in his circle a few people in his circle, like I, I was really close friends with his drug dealer, actually. <laughs> and, and I don't do drugs, so and I didn't then. I was I drank a lot, but I but I was actually really really good friends with like one of his major drug dealers. And um, um, um yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, I just had a funny feeling that question but, was going to get a yes answer. <laughs> but but um, I was um, I, I knew other people, a couple other people, really close to him, and I, I used to see him. Out around it. he at area he used to DJ occasionally at right, that yeah, club, yeah. and I, I used to go to area occasionally also. Um, so yeah, I used to see him around. I mean, uh, you know, the, the thing about those clubs at night, you would see people at three or four in the morning, and usually by that time, people are either looking to get laid or they're looking to score drugs. You know, so and, and yeah, so there's a lot of times there's not a lot of talking when you see people <laughs> out. At, you know, three or four in the morning. But anyway, um, <laughs> sidebar. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. as in the words of Matthew Ship. Anyway, uh, in fact, let me just back out for anybody who's just joining us. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And each episode of the show, I invite a guest, and the guest chooses, usually chooses. Tonight's a little exception. We're going to talk about you that chose. too. Um, <laughs> A topic, right. and my guest is Matthew Ship. Our topic is Albert Eiler, and um, you did a magnificent pencil sketch of our hero, Albert Eiler. 
And um, I do want to get to some music, and we're going to be focusing on the last performance, apparently, that he ever made. And it's a singular piece of work. It's, it is a vast uh, recording, with, and, and there's so much to think about and talk about here. Maybe we should play a track and come back yeah, and yeah. tell folks a little bit more about it. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and I, I, I had never heard this, so... Yeah, never, it's, yeah, it's nice. The first for me, I, I know about this concert, but I I never heard it because I you know, I, I, I as much as I love Eiler, there's a, a a point where I stopped. <laughs> yeah, after info, <laughs> I get it. I absolutely. get I it. I mean, some people love those albums, but you know, as, well, this there, yeah, his uh, much as you were saying, so much of his life was an enigma. You could say that about his entire recorded discography as right, well. Right. And this, of all the recordings that stand alone, this is one of them. It really is unique in so many ways. It's uh, the concert, his last concert, his last pair of concerts was uh, July of 1970 at the Fondation Mag in the south of France. And the its recordings of it have kicked around in various forms over the years. It finally, last year, got the loving release that it's deserved all these years and that is what we are playing for it's on the elemental recordings label i believe is what it's called and uh tell you we're going to talk more about this event but i'm going to just introduce the players and we'll hear some music and come back and talk some more about it with matthew ship albert eiler is the leader he's playing tenor and soprano saxophones and you'll hear him vocalizing as well uh mary parks is playing soprano saxophone and most of the vocals. Cal Cobbs is on piano. I don't know if he's going to – he's on one of the two nights, the second of the two nights only. Steve Tintweiss on the bass. Alan Blairman on the drums. And my question, my next question for you, Matt Ship, is uh, where to begin? Do we begin in the beginning? It's up to you. You, you push the buttons. All right. All right, we'll begin I, at the beginning. I, I flat my it's, mouth. It's, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You're not done yet, my friend. Uh, uh, and, uh, but we'll, we'll start at the beginning. We, I w- wish maybe we might need to do like a, I don't know, a nine-part show just for this one concert to play all of it and talk through all the things there are to discuss. But uh, we'll start at least with the beginning. So it's July of 1970, uh, July 27th. You're in Saint-Paul-de-Vence, in the south of France, at this beautiful um, indoor-outdoor art gallery, and uh, Fondation Mag. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And um, yeah, music is the healing force. The universe is what they start with, fantastically enough. And anything else we want to let the folks know before we roll I, in? I think people want to hear music. People <laughs> want to hear music. <laughs> Isn't it the truth? Okay. All right. The show's called Deep Focus. We're WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman here with Matthew Shipp. And this is music from Albert Eiler. Music is the healing force of the universe. Thank you. 
the healing force of the universe. Music of love. Music is a spirit. Music is life. Life is music. Music is played, listened to, danced to. Sometimes not understood, but felt. Music causes all bad vibrations to fade away. It makes one want to love instead of hate. It puts the mind in a healthy state of thought. of the universe, music of love. Music is giving, music is greatness. It's never complete, 
It is a being. It's always there. To feel, to let in, to become obsessed by, to be healed by. So open up your door and let it come in. Let it into the very interior of your soul. Sometimes our very soul is in need of spiritual medication. We do not always need the pill and its contents. Just open up your heart and soul and let it come in. of the universe, the music of love. Thank you. 
That is music from Albert Eiler. His last concert as recorded on a number of albums over the years. Most recently, this one, Revelations, the complete ORTF 1970 Fondation Mag recordings. And uh, on the Elemental label... And um, significantly, there are actually multiple recordings of just this one performance. Um, and this one from French radio, the most satisfying. Apparently, it was also documented on film, which the complete version of which has not been made available. Something to hope for in the future. It is the show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. I'm here in the studio with Matthew Ship. And if you missed the beginning of the show, Matthew did a great job kind of uncorking some of the mysteries and enigmas that surround this very singular artist, Albert Eiler, and I don't think any of that is dispelled by what the music that we're hearing. Um, I don't think you can uncork. <laughs> the, the mystery remains. You can just see some things, you know, that are there. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, I'm... This is, he died a few months after this. When was this? Yeah. So this is, it's July 27th, 1970. We're in the south of France at uh, this uh, institution, Fondation Mag, we could talk a little bit more about. And he died under somewhat mysterious circumstances and was uh, found in the East, East River, River in uh, late November of that year. Yeah. And there are all these very strange, unsettling stories about his behavior during the interim period. And um, and I don't know how deep we want to go into that, but um, stories that suggest maybe some kind of... Like like, uh, in in the summer, being outside in fur coats and Vaseline on and talking about having to protect yourself when it's like 90 degrees or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, having to spill his blood to protect his brother and his mother. Right. His brother, Donald Eiler, had been a member of the group until not too long before this. And he ended up going back to Ohio. Right. Well, I th- didn't Albert fire him? Yeah, apparently. Right. Um, I think there was, there was, I mean, they were close. And I think there was some guilt how it didn't work out um, exactly. But... Um, yeah, I'm struck. I knew, I knew this festival that we're listening to treated Albert really well. You know, there was um, he was treated like a star, and, and really, you know, plus, you know, good money, plus, you know, all the stuff he wanted, and and he had had a very difficult career. Um, he was um, notorious, and you know, but not he he didn't get all the trimmings that that he thought he should get or that he should have gotten or um you know it was just it was it was a very tough time for him his whole career um Coltrane often put in a good word and tried to you know help him out got him yeah. got him on impulse <laughs> yeah Coltrane was apparently a uh, great friend and great admirer right right and yeah got him signed to impulse I mean, Col- Coltrane was we all revere Coltrane around here these days. He was a superstar then. He was a, a major right. recording and touring artist. And yeah. Um, well, that yeah, that just never happened for Albert. Um, you know, coincident. I mean, what's actually so interesting 
to me is that, um, I, you know, I, I, would, I would tend to think most people in the jazz world, I mean, unless they were just really centered in the avant-garde or what, whatever you want to call this music, um, and that was their thing, they, they, pro- you know, they probably had a hard time trying to figure out who this cat was. But his, um, his influence really hit the rock world really heavily. I mean, people like Patti Smith, um, I mean, Tom Verlaine, it go, goes on and on, were instantly um, r- really taken by him. And, I, you know, I think even I think there's even a period where Paul McCartney was listening. That sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. I mean, I, I vaguely recall reading that there was a period where that, that was like what he was listening to. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I vaguely remember something to that point. Um so let alone like you know the, the kind of punk world. I mean, it, 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 even into kind of mainstream rock, people were really checking out Albert. And um, he's his spirit is part of that that '60s vibe. That, you know, the same kind of um, resonance that you hear in Jimi Hendrix, you hear in Albert, and it's, it it partakes of some of the same ambience of the air. Um, but um, but Albert was treated really well with this festival, and it was done really well, and everything. And it's just so a shame that you know more opportunities for this didn't come up because you know he was doing um the regular kind of work a day, or actually below work a day jazz gigs, you know, at some really problematic venues <laughs> where other stuff was going on. It's, I mean, at the same period, you know, the Impulse Records didn't really sell. Like, um, you know, uh, that kind of marriage didn't really, between Impulse and Albert, didn't really click. Um, um, so, and, you know, ESP, which maybe some of his greatest albums are Spiritual Unity, is yeah. a modern masterpiece, you know, beyond the realm of masterpieces. Um, they all, they, they always, it always had a really underground following, a, a strong following, but an underground following, and um, ESP has never been in it for the profit. In fact, Bernard, you know, Bernard always invested all the money. I, I know there's a lot of bad ideas about Bernard out there, and maybe Bernard Stolman, Stolman, the founder of ESP yeah. Records, and, and but at, at the end of the day, he did invest a lot of the money he made back into the label and did let the artists do what they want to do. You know. Um, I, I knew Bernard. He was <laughs> he was a trip. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, all of this is to say that but this performance we're listening to this festival, Albert was treated royally. You know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. It's it is such a singular moment, and it's such a gift to us that this music's available, <clears throat> even just to listen to and discuss like this, and. Um, but to try to think about it in the context of the moment, he's Albert Eiler's living on the Lower East Side among so many of the musicians of what was kind of the bleeding edge of the uh, improvised music world. And but as you say, gigs were really thin, and when they came, they weren't necessarily well funded or right. anything like that. <laughs> He'd had um, really hadn't been around as a recording artist for that long uh 
recorded on a several different labels and had some great musicians come through his band. And um, so here it is, summer of 1970, and he gets a what would be considered, I guess, like a commission, really, to do right. this piece. It was, a, it was from a well-funded arts organization, European arts organization, that was presenting not just music, but uh, sculpture, film, dance, theater, all very contemporary of the moment, very modern, capital M, if you like, and placing him on that pedestal. And um, this is the band that he comes with that seemingly hadn't done any other gigs together in this form or any other. And um, I'm going to maybe unfairly ask you to put yourself in the mind of Albert Eiler and more specifically, what are we hearing in this music? What Who are these voices? How are they moving together? You as a band leader, what are you hearing? Um, well... I'm hearing Albert just be Albert. That that's the thing. I mean, he's dealing with just melody, and then the vibration off the melody, and 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 he, you know he's playing with people he had never played with. I have no idea um, what their background is as far as this music. Whether they were mainly straight ahead, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The, I mean, you know, the musicians. Um, they are dealing. And um, Albert is sounds to me. I mean, it's you know, obviously, it doesn't sound rehearsed or anything. Yeah. And um, he's just playing. I mean, you know, he's 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 a pure fount of a vibrant melody. That that's what he is, and he puts the vibration out there, and and you pick up on it, or you know, I the the or not, and. You know, it, 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 it's this band is not the spiritual unit. It's not Sonny Murray and Gary Peacock, if if you want to look at which was a, um, but it's beautiful in its own. You know, um, it's very beautiful in its own way. And and Albert's, um, he's he's kind of really free here. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if doing the Impulse albums kind of did a certain thing to his head and, and here he's just trying um I, I really don't I mean the whole vibe between Mary and Albert I would leave that to other people to talk okay okay <laughs> all right that's not I mean you know it's 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 um it's his thing you know they, they're obviously together and um they were well. Apparently, they were romantic partners. Right. They were business partners. She was right. his manager. She, I think, after his death, uh, interviews I've seen with her, she took a lot of credit for the music itself. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to stay it. I, 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 yeah, <laughs> Fair I, <yeah>. enough. <laughs> Let the music stand on its own. We, you know, it, it, it's what it is. But um, yeah, this is a very interesting period. Um, uh, so uh, to me, as a bandly, I mean, he, you know, is the other CD where Carl Cobb, where Cal Cobb's is, um, a whole different can of worms because Albert, I don't think of him as a sax player that needs a piano or necessarily is piano friendly. Um, yeah, a lot of his recordings, yeah. didn't have it and well, didn't seem to call for most it. of them. Didn't. And, yeah. and 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 in fact. 
a harmonic instrument kind of cages him in a little bit because his sound is so capacious and so broad and and it does break through i mean and it's not it's the the general um the general idea he's going for is not involved with and i'm not saying i mean he he's a great sax player that's undeniable and and whatever he's doing with pitch he knows exactly what he's doing and going for but it's it's not a, a piano centric concept let's just let's just leave it at that um you know i've actually never heard the tapes with cecil taylor that he did and i know there was a part of his career early on in in europe in scandinavia where he was playing with the cecil taylor ensemble for a while and there's kcr used to play every year we might have to go through the archives right something and i actually never heard it and i um for some reason i always missed it um that's a whole different can of worms and him and, and but um you asked what I hear I, as far as the group dynamic I hear a guy who's glad to play. you know he wants to play that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the major he's singing yeah yeah, yeah and, and and you know it's a good opportunity and he's very open and he's very open to the side men also and he's gracious and he is going to just play this melody and and your job is just to kind of hook into the vibrations of it. Um, and I, you know, that's, that's what I hear. <laughs> yeah. Let me just take a quick moment to let the folks know you're listening to WKCR FM New York or maybe WKCR HD, or you could be listening on the web anywhere around the world. If you're near a computer or a signal, WKCR.org. You might be tuned into 89.9 FM here in New York City, or you can hear this show. Uh, this particular episode is going to go up in about a week's time at on the Deep Focus podcast, which you can find on that phone in your pocket right now. It's all free advertising, free, just like listening to the radio, but you could take it with you, listen anytime you want, send it to your friends and uh, subscribe, and you can research and find hundreds of episodes, some including our guest tonight, Matthew Shipp, like the ones with uh, each three-hour program becomes three one-hour episodes. So, And that Paul Blay show that we did is posted along with all the other great shows we've done. So a uh, little plug for that. And also, speaking of putting the word out about things, you have a gig coming up. Later this week. Yes, I do. Can we talk about that for a moment? Do you want to tell the folks where you're going to be? I will be playing solo piano at the Progressive Chamber Music Festival 2023. I think this Saturday, October 14th, whatever. I think that's Saturday. Yep. Okay. At the Greenwich House Music School at 46 Barrow Street. And the doors open at 630. I think the concert starts at 7. It's three different groups that night the, the festival is actually the 13th and the 14th i play the 14th the last night and it's put on by the serious string quartet at which they'll be playing the same night that i do i'm playing solo piano in um and i'm doing it kind of as a go- coming coming out party for my new solo piano cd the intrinsic nature of ship is the name of my new solo cd on malakala records 
Fantastic. I'm holding a copy of it in my hand. It's very beautiful. And um, you've got, you have, all right, I'm going to confess my ignorance. I lost count of how many albums you uh, have. I, I, have, I lost count also. <laughs> you got a lot so we're, we're in the same club. Oh, okay. I don't feel so bad now. Right. But it's a, you, you absolutely, if you are enjoying the music of Albert Eiler, I'm going to tell you right now, you absolutely should have some of Matthew Shipp's music right. in your collection. How? Or. Or. or and or. And or. A, a tenor player that I used to play with who was sort of inspired by, I mean, David S. Ware. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, absolutely. David, S. his music is completely different and completely a whole, I mean, a massively different, but Euler was a one of his influences. No doubt. No right. doubt. Yeah. He's, uh, and you guys, oh, so many great moments and great recordings, mm-hmm. you guys playing together. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, this is, Fantastic opportunity. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I you know it was on on what we were listening to, he was playing a lot more on the horn. You know, more sustained on the horn than he does in the the you know part of like spiritual unity or spirits or any of that. Um, I, I, one thing is interesting about this since you mentioned Donald Eiler, his yes. brother who played trumpet, and then I'm um, you know he. I, I, there was a one period where he always did have a brass player as a foil, and it was Don Cherry. Right. Um, and then it was his brother. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see him not have that other voice there because um, he really fed off those guys, too. I mean, I, you know, Eiler always had his own strong, strong presence, obviously, but but that was kind of a you know a, a really nice vibe having a brass player and then people that he could relate to so well i mean don cherry can take any simple melody that's a deep focus from october 9th 2023 matthew ship with me in the studio we are ooh, yeah getting into it We're getting into it uh albert eiler he, he stirs the passions I hope you're right there with us. And uh, that's part one. There's two more parts coming. I want to hear from you. What is your experience with this show? When do you listen? How do you listen? Email me. It's deepfocusnow at gmail.com. Super easy. Tell you what, go that one better. I really do want to hear from you. I want to hear where you are in the world, what you're doing when you're listening. And I'm also asking you to share that with some other listeners. When you do that, we go up in the algorithms out of the zillions of podcasts out there. All of a sudden, new people are finding us. When you click like, when you click thumbs up, when you give five stars, when you make a comment, it means the world. And all of a sudden now, new people are hearing this music and enjoying what you love. What's better than that? That's the, isn't that really the great gift of what this uh, <laughs> internet's supposed to be providing for us? We can do this, people. We can come together and do this. Yes, now, together. All right. I'm going to be looking out for you, and I will see you over at part two of October 9th, 2023, Matthew Ship on the topic of Albert Eiler.